I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. In today's reading, we complete the reading of the Gospels. We'll be looking at passages out of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we'll be finishing up each of those books. We'll be looking at Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20, Mark chapter 16, verses 14 through 20, Luke chapter 24, verses 35 to 53, and John chapter 20, beginning with verse 19, reading all the way over to chapter 21, verse 25. Now, here we are. We start in this passage. The date is Nisan 17. That's the Sunday after the crucifixion. We first of all read that Jesus appears to the apostles in Mark 16:14, Luke 24, verses 35 to 43, and John chapter 20, verses 19 to 24. First, Mark 16:14. Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat, and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. Now over to Luke chapter 24, verse 35. And they told what things were done in the way, and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them, and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted, and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are ye troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as ye see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy, and wondered, he said unto them, Have ye here any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and an honeycomb, and he took it and did eat before them. Now over to John chapter 20, beginning with verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. All right here. It's still Sunday, Resurrection Day, and the disciples get a visit from those guys who had seen Jesus on the road to Emmaus back in Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 34. While they're speaking to the disciples, Jesus himself appears before them. Both John and Luke identify this appearance as having taken place on the evening of the resurrection, but they each cover different aspects of the meeting. Mark himself just dedicates one verse to this appearance in Mark chapter 16, verse 14. He points out that they were rebuked by Jesus because of their lack of belief regarding his resurrection prior to this personal appearance before them. 
Luke records the skepticism of the disciples and the fact that Jesus used the visuals of his pierced and healed hands and feet as evidence that he was indeed Jesus himself. Mark reports in verse 14 that Jesus upbraided them because of their failure to immediately believe that he had been resurrected. We saw in Mark chapter 16, verse 10, just four verses earlier, that the two women were told to instruct the disciples to go meet Jesus in Galilee. But they didn't go. They remained in the Jerusalem area. Yeah, but is this really Jesus bodily resurrected, or is it just a Jesus spirit? Luke wants to make certain this question is answered in Luke 24, verses 41 to 43. When he points out that Jesus ate with them, well, spirits don't eat, but the bodily resurrected Jesus does. Incidentally, the term the twelve, that had been the designation used in the gospel accounts to differentiate between the appointed apostles of Jesus and the other disciples of Jesus, uh, a much larger number. It's interesting that the gospel accounts only refer to this group as apostles eight times. And six of those times are by Luke himself. We see the twelve clearly identified as apostles in Luke chapter 6, verse 13. Here that verse says, And when it was day, he called unto his disciples, and of them he chose twelve, whom also he named apostles. However, the apostles are most frequently referred to as the twelve, as is in the case here in John twenty twenty four. Likewise, after the departure of Judas, they were known as the Eleven, as seen in Matthew twenty-eight sixteen, Mark sixteen fourteen, and Luke 24, verse 9, and also verse 33. While this body of men were now known as the Eleven, we see in John's account that Thomas was not actually present as a member of the Eleven in John chapter 20, verse 24. As a matter of fact, it would be another week before Thomas would actually see Jesus. Therefore, while it is reported by Mark that Jesus appeared on Resurrection Day to the Eleven, that term is actually used to describe this particular body of disciples. Thomas missed this meeting, by the way, of the Eleven. Two verses in John's passage particularly stand out. John chapter 20, verses 22 and 23. In these verses, Jesus seems to give something special to his apostles. Bible scholars have debated through the years exactly what it means. I try not to read too much into these verses. First of all, it would appear that Jesus is blessing his disciples with a dose of the Holy Spirit's guidance to hold them over until the day of Pentecost, seven weeks to the day away. After the day of Pentecost, it's obvious that the Holy Spirit indwells every believer at salvation. Look at my commentary on Acts chapter 2, if you need a little insight there. Secondly, Jesus says this in verse 23, Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them, and whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. Now keep in mind, these are specific instructions to the apostles. The same Greek word for remit there is usually translated forgive, aphemi. The Greek verb for retain there is krateo. It means to continue in the same state. Obviously, he is charging them with spreading the salvation message here in this passage, having witnessed the resurrected Jesus in person. It's impossible to conclusively read any more into these words of Jesus than that. By the time the Feast of Pentecost is complete, 
it'll be quite clear to the apostles what is to be their mission. Now, John answers a very important question in the next few verses here. In John chapter 20, verses 25 to 31, why did John write his gospel? Verse 25, the other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord, but he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. By the way, this is Thomas talking. Verse 26, And after eight days again his disciples were within, and Thomas was with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then said he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, and yet have believed. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Since Thomas apparently had left early on the resurrection day when Jesus appeared in John chapter 20, verse 24, after being told about it, he expressed doubt about Jesus' appearance. Mark and Luke clearly indicate that the apostles were present when the two Emmaus witnesses showed up though we see that Thomas was not present when Jesus appeared on the resurrection day. Having missed the visible proof of Jesus' identity, which the other disciples viewed, his pierced and scarred hands and feet, Thomas wants to go one better. He remembers the piercing of the side of Jesus with the spear. He wants to see that wound also. Well, Thomas, here we are. Eight days have passed since the resurrection, and the disciples are gathered again. Jesus appears and affords Thomas the opportunity to confirm Jesus' identity. Jesus then declares in John chapter 20, verse 29, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Understand, salvation is by faith. Jesus blesses those who will come to him by faith, which is, by the way, how all of us come to a saving knowledge of Jesus as our Savior. Then John declares his purpose for writing this gospel in verse 31. He says, But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, keeping in mind that Christ means Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. That brings us to John chapter 21, where Peter learns a big-time lesson. Verse 1. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast then out on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. 
They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship. They were not far from land, but as it were two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fishes. As soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon and bread. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, and hundred and fifty and three, and for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou? knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them, and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldst. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whithersoever thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. All right, now let's explain this. Jesus appears to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias after an indefinite lapse of time. Don't know how long. This is another name for the Sea of Galilee in northern Israel. Interestingly enough, Peter decides to go fishing. Now, this is not uh, sport or hobby fishing, but rather big-time fishing for profit with nets and other equipment. How could the disciples who went with Peter fish at a time like this? Well, obviously, they did it for livelihood. There was no church or group to support them otherwise, as would be the case later. Special attention here is given to Peter on this day by Jesus. I'm reminded of Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20, when Jesus gave special authority to Peter. Jesus seems to build on that authority in this passage. This occasion starts out with their return from the fishing expedition, having only caught the fish made possible by the appearance of Jesus. When they arrived ashore, Jesus has already prepared a meal for them, fish, of course. Then begins the object lesson. Jesus asked Peter in verse 15, quote, Lovest thou me more than these? That's a reference to Peter's declaration before the crucifixion in Mark chapter 14, verse 31, when he said, Peter said this, If I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. Ultimately, all the disciples fled at the crucifixion. However, Peter had verbally set himself apart that day from the other disciples with his adamant declaration. 
And Jesus is now coming to deal with that declaration and the subsequent denial by Peter himself. Now keep in mind, John was present on this occasion. The Greek words used in this passage offer some precision regarding this dialogue between Jesus and Peter. The Greek word Jesus uses for love here means sacrifice. It's in verses 15 and 16. It's the Greek word agapao. Those two questions strike the essence of Peter's pre-crucifixion declaration. However, in both instances, in verses 15 and 16, Peter's response to Jesus, when Jesus asked him, Do you agapao love me more than these? is characterized with a different Greek word for love, which means natural affection, the verb phileo. It doesn't mean sacrifice, it means natural affection. It would appear that Peter completely understands the point that when he said prior to the crucifixion that he was willing to make the ultimate sacrifice, in other words, die with Jesus, and he failed to do so, it would seem empty to make a similar declaration right now, Actions speak louder than words, after all. When Jesus asked the question the third time in verse 17, he also is quoted by John as referring to natural affection. That third time, Jesus uses the word phileo rather than the word for sacrifice, agapao. Peter again answers the question, declaring his love, phileo, for Jesus, a natural love, a natural affection. Now, my opinion about this verbal exchange is that Peter didn't want to be guilty of once again overstating his love for Jesus in the face of his previous denial. I think that's why Peter makes the statement in verse 17 when he says, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love phileo, that I love thee. It was Jesus who correctly prophesied what Peter would do prior to the crucifixion, And Peter realizes that Jesus knows exactly what he'll do in the future, in every circumstance. Jesus then commands Peter to, quote, feed my sheep. It would appear that Jesus is restating the authority he gave to Peter in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 20. Look at those notes and see what authority that was. Incidentally, Peter's boldness from the day of Pentecost to the end of his life Well, that just demonstrates that he was willing to make the ultimate sacrifice for the cause of Christ. Jesus prophesies the death of Peter in verses 18 and 19. This serves as a confirmation to Peter that Jesus still believes that Peter will serve him to the death this time. What about the Apostle John? Well, let's read about him in verses 20 to 25 of John chapter 21. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper, and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Then went this saying abroad among the brethren, that that disciple should not die. Yet Jesus said not unto him, He shall not die. But if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? This is the disciple which testifieth of these things, and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. 
Well, these are curious verses. John, the apostle and author, comments on an exchange between Peter and Jesus and the subsequent misunderstanding that occurred as a result of that that uh, conversation. John refers to himself here as the disciple that Jesus loved in verse 20 and also in verse 24. John is very careful here to make it clear that the subsequent belief among followers of Jesus that John would not suffer death was a misunderstanding of this conversation between Peter and Jesus. And finally, we have the Great Commission, recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20, Mark chapter 16, verses 15 to 20, and Luke chapter 24, verses 44 to 53. First, Matthew 28, 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Now over to Mark chapter 16, verse 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, and if they shall drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven, and sat on the right hand of God, and they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. Now the more expanded account over in Luke chapter 24, beginning with verse 44. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures, and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer, and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. Now, you can see it takes reading all three passages to get a full picture of this commission from Jesus along with also adding Acts chapter 1, verse 8, which was spoken at the same time. Matthew sticks with the essence of the commission here, command and authority to preach the gospel to the world. Mark chooses to include some empowerment comments. Luke wants to add perspective to the comments. As a matter of fact, pay attention to Luke 24, verse 44, where he says this, And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you, while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses, and by the way, that's per Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 to 22, continuing now, 
and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Luke wants to remove any doubt from the minds of his readers regarding the messianic fulfillment of Jesus. Peter latches on to this in his message of Acts chapter 3 when he refers to Moses' prophecy again regarding the Messiah over in Acts chapter 3 verses 22 and 23. Moreover, it's Luke who quotes Jesus as giving to the disciples their immediate task at hand of waiting in Jerusalem, quote, until you be endued with power from on high, end quote. As it happens, this turns out to take place on the day of Pentecost with the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. While Mark and Luke give brief accounts of Jesus' ascension into heaven in these verses, Luke records considerably more detail of this day over in Acts chapter 1. By the way, Acts chapter 1 overlaps the events of these verses in Luke chapter 24. Mark's account here merits some additional explanation. I recognize that it's popular even among conservative commentators to explain away Mark chapter 16 verses 15 to 20 based upon issues of what's called textual criticism. I myself, I'm not comfortable with the notion that this portion of Scripture can be discounted based upon its omission from two Alexandrian manuscripts, while a host of extant manuscripts support the passage's inclusion. I accept this passage as written. Mark's specifications are very similar to those reported back in Luke chapter 10, verses 1 to 24. That was when the 70 were sent out on their missionary trip, if you'll recall. It should not be troubling to us that Jesus included similar instructions here as he was issuing what has become known as the Great Commission. As a matter of fact, we do see this level of protection against harm on behalf of the eleven apostles throughout their efforts in the book of Acts, along with the great authority given to them. Some have used Mark's statements regarding baptizing in verse 16 to formulate an entire doctrine regarding believers' baptism. That's where he said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. They insist, based upon this verse, that one is saved only after water baptism is complete. This ill-founded doctrine is often referred to as baptismal regeneration. It's unwise to draw a single verse out of the Scripture upon which to build a doctrine, especially in light of the fact that baptism is dealt with in so many other passages of Scripture. Why, we see in Romans chapter 6, verses 1-14, through 14, that water baptism is a picture of, of what has taken place in a person's life at salvation. The actual baptism at salvation is that of being baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ as seen in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. Another verse often cited by those who teach the unscriptural doctrine of baptismal regeneration is Luke chapter 2, verse 38. In reading that passage and Peter's invitation on the day of Pentecost, it's obvious that immediate baptism that day was the only logistically acceptable means whereby the shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder crowd of thousands could step out and be counted for Christ. In reality, salvation, it's a heart condition. At salvation, one becomes a believer by being baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. This transaction is completely supernatural and it's instantaneous. Any outward physical attempt, like water baptism, to complete this transaction, well, that adds a component of works to the salvation process, and that is scripturally unacceptable.
Paul states it concisely in Romans chapter 11, verses 5 and 6. Here's what he says. Even so at this present time, also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Now listen to this in verse 6. And if by grace, then it is no more of works, otherwise grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more of grace, otherwise work is no more work. To insist that something other than supernatural saving faith is required to complete the salvation transaction, well, that invalidates the work of the Holy Spirit altogether. It's clear. Salvation is completely a spiritual transaction between man and God. No outward act can possibly be necessary to validate saving faith. And now we have completed reading the four Gospels. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Faith Bible Church, Paul Walter. 